I just think you have to take the plunge once that once you shift, once there's a clear shift, and I believe we do know this, we know when we're operating from a place of mind or if we're operating from a, from a deeper place of knowing. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful, and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Brilliant Misfits. I'm your host, Asia Kennedy. I have another fantastic guest today. I know I say that every week, but I truly mean every woman that I talk to is really amazing because what they're doing in the world is so inspiring and um, we're really changing the landscape out there and it's very, very exciting. And before I introduce you to my guest today, I just want to mention that you can join my private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. It's a circle of women where we get together, we support, inspire each other, and encourage us all to just keep going and be true to who we are. And also on my website, asiakennedy.com, there's lots of other information about how to live a mindful, creative life. So my guest today is... Colleen Hollett. And Colleen is a facilitator, wellness consultant, and retreat center owner. And those words just don't really describe, I think, all of who she really is. And she's going to share her story with you today and inspire you to really find your own path and follow it with gusto, with passion, with heart. And so, Colleen, welcome. Welcome to the show today. Hi, Aisha. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a delight. It's absolute delight. Now, I don't know you at all. Um, I know that you are currently living in Brunei. Is that correct? No, I'm in Thailand at the moment. You're in Thailand. Um, okay. Yes. Beautiful. And let's go right back to the beginning, Colleen. So you didn't grow up in Thailand. Is that correct? No, I grew up in South Africa and um, I've pretty much lived the last 20 years of my life in a very unconventional way in the sense that uh, I generally move every three years, um, not in a planned way. It's just that I seem to have a travel bug and at about the three-year junction is when my backpack starts to call me and it's time to move on again. So, um, yeah, I've lived most of the last 20 years in Asia and um, I spent a few years in the UK and Europe doing, you know, traveling and backpacking through there. And um, during that stage, I worked in the NHS as a pharmacist technician. So it was actually a really great beginning, um, even though my, my um, background in healthcare, shall we say, started in South Africa. I managed to continue in that sense that I was working in a professional environment in the NHS hospitals. Hello. Yep, I still have you. Oh, Just, sorry, I thought I lost you. No, that's there. fine. Just for the listeners, sometimes when we're doing um, the Skype calls, it in you know across the globe, which is at, absolutely miraculous when you think <laughs> about it. But sometimes we lose connection. So yes, yes, you're still still with us, Colleen. Okay, great. 
So, yeah, at the time I was working in the NHS and um, this was just wonderful in the sense that my professional development as a uh, as a healthcare worker grew phenomenally and it also allowed me the freedom of earning my own money and being able to travel. And from there, it pretty much just continued. Um, I left the UK. I traveled overland through Africa to get back home to South Africa where I was born. And I was home for about 10 days and decided, okay, I'm really not ready to stay. Um, I need to do something. So I remembered that I had done a course in teaching English while, while I was in the UK. And um, so I just randomly decided to get on a plane and go to Thailand. And uh, I found a job when I arrived in Thailand. And it just continued and continued and continued from there. So on one hand, it's kind of, it feels like I've almost, you know, fallen from one pebble to the next, shall we say, or I've just been on this journey of collecting little breadcrumbs along the way without any um, preconceived plan. But it does seem that this, you know, this unplanned plan was actually planned in a sense because every step that I've taken, every amazing teacher that I've found along the way, every level of professional development that's occurred along the way really has led me in a very defined um, path as being someone in healthcare counseling. And it's all kind of come together now in the retreat center, which really is probably the biggest dream that, um, that could have just unfolded in the most amazing way. <laughs> hmm. So as I'm listening to you, it sounds like, you don't really plan these things out, but there's opportunities that arise. And I want to explore that a little bit with you because I find that very true in my own life. And what I feel like, it's it's destiny, not that everything's mapped out, but I believe that, you know, we all have these seeds that are planted within us and we come into our physical form with these seeds. And these seeds sort of connect us to the divine and we're guided along. And often we feel like that, we are in control of our lives or that we make these choices. And I always have this sort of question in my own mind is like, well, how much do we really choose and how much is chosen for us? I think um, I would say I'm an advocate for free will. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, on one hand, my own belief system um, would agree and say, yes, I do believe that we have some plan, whatever that plan is, you know, who knows. Um, and then within that plan, I think we're just, we're given opportunities and it's really up to us to decide whether we're going to take it or not. So for me, I've never really planned anything out, you know, I, and in fact, I used to have this almost like a, like a, absolute rejection about having a grand five-year plan. And, I, you know, I would think to myself, how on earth can I plan the next five years? I can't even plan what I'm doing in the next six months because I don't know <laughs> what opportunity is going to come my way. And maybe something amazing happens and I choose to take that opportunity. So I still don't really have a five-year plan and I'm about to reach 40 and I, I have no plan. But it's um, – I feel like it's really worked out in a way that it should. It feels it's not a it's not a thought process for me. It's not like um, I'm sitting down with a large scale strategy and kind of you know living dot by dot by dot. But there is a knowing. There is something within me that feels very comfortable um, 
in being uncomfortable. It's definitely not, you know, a comfort zone of kind of just hanging out and, you know, knowing that the universe is going to provide for me. That's definitely not, um, I'm definitely not in that phase, but, and I I never have been, I'm I'm definitely being one that, uh, you know, if, if you kind of want to do things, you need to go out and do it. And I do believe that when you're clear, when you have a sense of, of absolute clarity on what you want to do, opportunities will present themselves. So whether that's destiny or whether it's, um, you know, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, I, I have no idea. Whatever it is seems to be working for me. So mm. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of keep going on the same path. <laughs> and um, when you say clarity, and I totally agree with you, and I think our listeners would also that, you know, once you're clear, um, things sort of present themselves. But how do you um, get yourself to that point of clarity? Um, a lot is meditation. I've been a meditator for many, many years. And in fact, when I started, when I went for my first meditation retreat as an adult, I had no idea that what I had been doing as a child was actually a form of meditation. So it seems like it's, it it almost feels like muscle memory to me in a sense that, um, that I remember, you know, it's not like a cognitive memory that I remember having being a meditator, but it just seems to be something that's been such a natural flow for me. It's almost as if I've just dropped back into a stream that I had kind of stepped out of. And so as a, as a little girl, I spent a lot of time alone. I wasn't really one of these um, people that always was around a lot of, you know, a large group of friends. Um, I'm very comfortable in my own company. I'm very comfortable in my own silence and um, I'm very observant of nature. So I take a lot of cues from what is going on around me. And um, just in the sense of, you know, little animals or something that will, that will visit. I, it's not an esoteric kind of, you know, uh, disconnect from reality in a sense, but if there is something that that presents itself very clearly to me, I I will consider the behavior of that animal. So, you know, for example, if a perfect moth is to show up um, and it's absolutely symmetrical, then for me this is a message of balance and to perhaps just, you know, slow down and restore my own balance. Little things like this. Mm. And definitely the, you know, mindfulness I recently did a 21-day silent retreat um, in a Vipassana meditation temple in the north of Thailand. And this really was a fundamental shift. So even though I had done a lot of transcendental meditation practices and I really enjoy art, and this is also another, I would refer to it as a practice, um, doing art journaling and uh, just being quiet, you know, it we have this perception of meditation being something that you have to sit down and close your eyes and maybe play music or do whatever these ideas we have in our mind. But for me, meditation really is just, you know, being quiet, accessing a stillness in yourself, allowing the mind to just get off the hamster wheel for however long. For some people, it might only be, you know, a couple of seconds at a time that they're actually able to slow this down. And then gradually, gradually, as you practice more, these, these blips of time can be longer. 
but for me, this is definitely um, where I've where I found my guidance. Where I've, my my inner compass is set by that, and without uh, without that, if I don't if I don't have time, or if I get incredibly distracted with a whole bunch of things, and I can't actually come back to that inner compass, this is when I get totally overwhelmed. Mm. Mm, I love what you're saying. You know, Colleen, I think you're my soul sister. <laughs> <laughs> we're finding each other isn't it <laughs> yes um because uh everything you've mentioned is everything that i also feel very resonant with meditation mindfulness quiet art practice um all these things are things that i do in my own life and i'm sure that um you know they're they're really important i mean they're little this they're, they're small things they're small things they're not big huge things and as you say doing those on a regular basis this is returning um, us to that inner compass. We all can find our own way back to that inner compass and gain that clarity. And when we don't, it's so true, isn't it? We just, that, that sense of overwhelm, um, feeling like there's too much to do, tiredness, all of that is a signal, a signpost that we've lost our inner compass. And so whatever it is that we do in our lives to bring us back, it's really important that we sit up and pay attention like, oh, I've got to get back to doing that once again. Absolutely, absolutely. And for me also, the, the I would say two very large things that has happened in the recent past, shall we say, within the last, say, three to four years with me. One is this uh, 21-day retreat. And then the other one is that I started doing genealogy. And this was immensely transformative for me in the sense of, you know, really knowing, really wanting to know the story of those that came before me, not in a sense of collecting a whole bunch of names and dates of births and things like this, but really actually doing research into the time that these people lived, what they did with their life. And really, if I were to cross paths with them, if I were to die tomorrow, how, first of all, how would I feel about that? Um, and right now, you know, in, in all honesty, if, if it were to happen, I think I would be quite okay with that because I've already at the age of 40, I've already lived a really huge life and I don't feel like I have any, um, you know, unfinished business or things like that. But if I were to cross paths with any of these people, both men all women, but I would say particularly the women that have come before me, you know, would I hang my head in shame? Would I feel like I haven't done anything with the foundations that were laid for me by those people? Have Has my life improved any, you know, do I have a better outcome than what those people had before me? And for me to actually be able to sit with this and then go, okay, so this is the story of all of these people. I did my DNA as well, which is, which is highly, highly, highly recommended. Mm. Um, yes, really, you know, just to be able to look at the big picture and realize at a genetic level, this is how we are connected. So we may all say, again, on an esoteric level, you know, we're connected and all of these things, but really on a, on a very practical level to just take it directly all the way back to your roots and, and see this is actually how we're all connected. I feel like um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the disharmony that we have in the global community now would be eased significantly if people actually realized that there is no such thing as, as 
as any label that we attach to ourselves. All of these labels are just, uh, you know, total stories that we make up. Um, and yeah, so that was really, really powerful for me to actually just look at that and realize, hold on a minute. So this is what my genes are made up of. This is the story of how my genes have kind of gone out of literally that the, the female line um, has gone out of Africa as, as the, the first aloe female line out of Africa. And then somehow I managed to make my way all the way back to the same continent over a period of hundreds of thousands of years. Um, and then what that actually means for me in terms of my place in a global community and how I then manage to connect dots with other people that are also just really doing the best they can and just trying to make sense out of a world that can sometimes really be crazy. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And do you know, is that DNA test? I, I did see something once on the internet um, where people had done DNA tests and they were convinced that they were just purely French or purely English or whatever. And when they actually got their test results back and saw that their lineage was far broader and wider than that, there were tears, there were, you know, there was this point of recognition and, and you know, awe that they had all of this blood in them from many different cultures, many different places. Yes, absolutely. It gives you a breakdown. It tells you what percentage you are. Um, initial genetic line, shall we say, or, or whatever cultural group. So, yes, I mean, the idea of anyone being purely anything, it, you know, just on a practical level, thinking that we've already had two world wars and a number of other amazing things that have happened in our history that have caused mass migrations of humans to move all over the place, it would be absolutely ignorant to think that you are not some kind of blend of something else you know, with two world wars, we've had men traveling all over the world. So it's highly likely there's going to be genes that have been left all over the place, really. So um, <laughs> I, I'm totally, I'm totally a product of that myself. You know, my mom is Japanese, and um, you know, if there wasn't a war and my dad didn't get stationed, he's American. If he didn't get stationed in Japan at that time, you know, I wouldn't be here. So I'm a pro I'm a direct product yes. of that. And, you know, growing up, I felt like such a misfit. And I really didn't know where I belonged. I grew up in in America in the States. And, you know, I used to feel very cursed by that I didn't know my place. But in the end, um, you know, it really is a gift. I really treasure that um, my uniqueness and uh, my, my part in the whole and my thread in the tapestry of life. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, that's just some, it's such a lovely way that you've spoken now saying the tapestry of life because this is exactly, um, I have two websites. One website was the kind of the birth of um, me knowing, okay, this is what's happening with my life next. And then after that, I somehow managed just to find this retreat that I bought for a retreat center. But on the, the first website, which is called sallyalife.com, um, I speak exactly of that, that, um, you know, we are weaving the tapestry of our life. We are weaving the fabric of our life and in choosing the threads, you know, I really feel like the threads that we choose and it is a choice in how to weave that ultimate tapestry is just so vitally important. 
And I think it's really beautiful in, for you, you know, your story in that you have Japanese heritage. I feel that this is really, really beautiful because along the trail, I did live in Japan for almost three years and I loved it as a culture. I really, really loved it. And I feel like, um, you know, these, these Asian traditions really have nuggets of wisdom that the Western mind kind of, um, we get so wrapped up in the intellectualizing and the explanation of everything that we, we so easily lose touch with the actual meaning of it to just sit with certain things and kind of, you know, ask yourself, what does that mean to me? It's not, um, it's not something that can be taught in a book, but, but, you know, spending time with older people, asking parents and grandparents stories and, and observing, just watching the behavior of other people. I've learned so, so, so much. And the Japanese culture, I really, really admire and respect immensely. It's beautiful on so many levels. So to have that, um, you know, in your case, to have that genetic connection, but also to have that that firm, solid cultural connection really is a, it's a blessing. Mm. And, you know, it comes through because I, growing up in America, America can be a very isolated place and, you know, doesn't really interact with the rest of the world. But somehow having, um, I really believe that, you know, genetically or whatever, there's something in me that I grew up since a little child with a very, very deep reverence for nature. And when I go to Japan and I've, I've visited Japan several times, I can feel that that is there in their culture, this deep reverence mm. for nature. Absolutely. This is part of, um, it's, it, you know, on, it's a label. On one hand, it's called wabi-sabi. Mm, and I many love that. Know of this, <laughs> yeah. But the depth of wabi-sabi is mm. profound. You know, on the surface, it just seems like, okay, the, the imperfection or the, you know, the beauty and the imperfection. But the roots of wabi-sabi all the way down is actually living in harmony with your environment and your environment being nature. So this is the reason why you see there, um, you know, the hot tubs and stuff like this, what is referred to as onsen, the onsen in the mountains and whatever, they don't just decimate a whole bunch of, they don't, you know, wreck the environment in order to build there. They try as much as they can to build to be in harmony with that which is already there. Mm. So this is the, you know, the wabi-sabi nature of it in trying to live in harmony with nature. And then from there, that, that understanding of maintenance of harmony carries through to the entire community. You know, you're knowing your place in your family, knowing your place in, in society and in your community. So on one hand, from a Western mindset, it's kind of, you know, what, what is this idea of knowing your place? I don't have a place. There's immediately this resistance. But when you step back and you look at it, you know, kind of zoom out with a wide lens, having this deep understanding that um, it, it is like a, a hive of bees. You know, everyone does at certain level have some kind of function that needs to be fulfilled. And as you know, if we have a look at all of the conflict and everything that's going on at the moment, it's very rarely, I can't even remember having seen anything along the lines of riots or large scale unhappiness and things like this in Japan, because the Japanese people wouldn't, they wouldn't think that they actually have the right to behave in a certain manner. Like it just doesn't even cross their mind. Mm. Mm, you know, so, so the, 
yeah, the idea of the ego or, you know, my self-importance and I have the right and, and all of this entitlement that we, that we really live with in the West, it doesn't even feature in Japan because it would just be such a foreign concept to, to these people, uh, especially the people in rural environments, which is where we lived. We lived in a beautiful little um, small town in the middle of the Alps, and it was a very traditional environment. And this kind of behavior would really be frowned upon. And um, there's a saying, I'm not sure if it's a Taoist saying or if it's if it's a roots are in uh, Zen Buddhism, but there is a saying of the nail that stands out gets hammered. And these people really do live by this sense, you know, they, they, and it's not, um, it's not out of fear. It's not out of, you know, thinking I'm of no worth or any of this. It's really respect for everybody else around you. That's the reason why this harmony is maintained by having respect for, for what is other than yourself. Mm, I love that saying, and I love the whole idea of respect. And, you know, as you were talking, and like, the, you know, the, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. And, you know, it, it isn't about worth, as you said, and I think that's really an important distinction, because in Australia, you know, they have the tall poppy syndrome. And so nobody mm. is um, allowed to be the tall poppy. But it in this um, quote that you were talking about is quite a different feeling and energy. It's not saying that you're mm. not worth it. And, you know, get back in your place it's really like you know your place from a deeper part of mm. yourself you go within and I think that inner journey is such an important part of um, being in the world and, and choosing those threads in that tapestry I know for myself that when um, you know I felt like I didn't belong and I might have felt really cursed when I was young but yet that led me to exploring my inner self like who am I from a deeper level not from the outer mm. so mm. I think that um, that is the gift of you know when you feel like you don't belong or you you're craving a sense of belonging it's really a, a call to go within and explore what that is for you and from that exploration you connect outwards in a much deeper way in a much more loving way Absolutely. And I think, you know, really now being able to kind of maybe identify it and, um, and label it, so to speak, this, for me, this is self-awareness hmm. and, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely not a, um, it's not a, it's not a mind thing. It's a knowing thing. And also for the Asian education system, these people don't start exams and testing and there's not a large academic focus until only about the age of, you know, 12, 13, 14, maybe even 16. So on one hand, Westerners kind of can't understand why there isn't an academic focus and why kids in school aren't doing a lot of testing and things like we do. But in Asian communities, so much time is spent on actually knowing yourself first, understanding yourself, understanding your family living in harmony and creating a community first. And then once there's that understanding, once there's the understanding of how to manage yourself and knowing your emotions and how to handle them. So we're not, you know, swallowing them down. We're not pushing them down. We're not medicating them. We're actually able to look at them and, and see them for what they are transient moments that will pass in, you know, three seconds or something. And mm. um, only once they've mastered this, then they start an academic thing. So it's only from the age of 16 and onwards that they all of a sudden hop on this academic belt. 
And it's much easier to catch up this way, whereas the Western mind is that we're so focused on the intellectual and academic performance from the word go that we don't actually learn any level of self-awareness. We don't learn any self-regulation. We don't learn anything about ourselves until we are suddenly, you know, burning out. And then we realize, oh, my God, like now I've got to start yoga or meditation or what's going on. I've got adrenal fatigue, all of these symptoms that we don't see in Asia. Like it actually dawned on me a few weeks ago. I've never crossed paths with an Asian person in any of the countries that we have lived that has had either knee replacement or hip replacement anywhere. But in the West, it is so prevalent. Mm, that is just so incredible. This, uh, yeah, I, this I, is remarkable for it me. It is remarkable. And I think also it's remarkable that, um, you know, the the focus in what you're saying, the Asian focus being on knowing yourself first is so valuable. I think in the West, you know, we're slowly coming to realize the importance of that because, you know, that people are growing up and not having a sense of self or self-worth and have low self-esteem and, it, and it's devastating in so many mm. ways. Yes, absolutely. And this is also what I'm seeing now as a retreat owner. Um, people, there are so many people that are lost, and the reason that they're lost is not because they don't have the answers. The reason that they're lost is because they are trying to find it outside of themselves. You know, there's this constant idea of if, if I buy this, if I do that course, if I, if I get another qualification, I will have the answer. Or if I go to this life coach, if I go here, 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 there's, you know, they're searching, searching, searching. And I started traveling before the dawn of the internet and the internet and, and phones, mobile phones have changed travel forever, which I guess on one hand is really great, but on another hand, also not so much. Um, because, you know, I just think for me, all of the little nuggets and the really, um, moments that had such deep impacts with me were not people that I found on a map book. They were just random discoveries that I made by, having no physical guidance, I somehow relied on, like I said, this internal compass that took me places I wouldn't have found in other ways. But now everything is so guided with, you know, with Google Maps and whatever that it doesn't seem as if people are actually exploring off, off these trails anymore. Um, and there's this constant seeking, 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 looking for the answers, looking for the answers. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's never, this has never made sense to me. If I think back as a little girl, I was, like I said, I, I was always very happy in my own quiet bubble. I read a lot from a very, very young age. I was buried in books and comic books. And, um, you know, on one hand, you, I might say I was a dreamer. And I guess I was a dreamer in the sense that I spent a lot of time in imagination and, you know, stories and these, these things that left me with awe, but the awe was equally balanced with, you know, with, with life lessons, so to speak. And so I've never had the need to fit in at all. I've never felt the need to kind of be desperate to be part of a, of a, of a herd ever. Mm. Um, and I've been very comfortable in that, you know, I've never felt like I'm missing out because of, you know, not having this or that never, ever, ever. 
Um, in fact, now I get very overwhelmed. I, I get immensely overwhelmed if I actually have to go into a group of people and kind of, you know, almost there's an expectation of, um, yeah, of being seen as an expert or being seen as someone that has the answers, being seen as someone who, who knows exactly what she's doing. Well, you know, I, I think that this is, um, it's, um, it's a, it's totally unreal to expect anyone to know exactly what they're doing. Everyone is just kind of figuring it out as they go along. Absolutely. (laughs) I feel incredibly uncomfortable when I have to walk into a group of people and be perceived as, Oh, this is, you know, this is a business owner who knows exactly what she's doing because this is her place. Well, well, no, (laughs) no, she knows she doesn't. That's not true at all. But I may have a lot, I may have knowledge of certain, you know, within certain parameters, but this is also not absolute. <laughs> right. So talk a little bit about your, um, your company, Salia Live. What does Salia mean? Well, Salia, you know, again, just so funny how you were mentioning destiny or as things revel out. I love fabric. I absolutely love fabric. And so, I, you know, in these moments of stillness, these little thoughts, random thoughts pop out into my head and then they, these random bits end up actually meaning stuff. But um, I love fabric. And so somehow I always, every single time I'm traveling, especially when I'm traveling alone in rural areas in the middle of nowhere, I somehow managed to find myself to weavers in India, Thailand, Laos, uh, Myanmar, a number of places. I always tend to stumble upon traditional weavers. And um, so the, re- the most recent time I was in Laos and I found a village that uh, the people were growing cotton and then they were spinning. There was actually an old lady that was spinning the, you know, the cotton into thread and then hand weaving. So that they did the entire process from the crop all the way through to a final piece of amazing, amazing organic cotton fabric. So I was doing some in- research on the Internet and, and found that um, – the, that calico, which is just a basic cotton fiber, was weaved by people called chalians in India. And so when I had a little bit of a deeper look at this, I came up with the word salia as weaver because I, I see myself as this, almost as a connectress or as a weaver. You know, I keep on going back to these threads. And um, so I thought, oh, that's a lovely name, salia. Yes, okay. So this kind of percolated and I sat with it for weeks and weeks and weeks and then um, just on a random, you know, decision, I finally was like, okay, this is now going to happen. And this company is going to be called Salia Life Institute with the intention of it being exactly that, you know, um, people that need support, people that need help, um, people that just need perspective. Because maybe help is not the right word, but perspective would really, would really fit well um, in terms of these threads that we offer. My husband and I are both trained as hospice counselors. As I said, I'm a pharmacist technician by trade. Um, I'm also an early childhood education provider. So there's a number of skill sets that I have. And I thought, okay, well, there clearly is a need for this um, because people are asking me questions. And so I may as well just put it out there now and, and see what happens. So the dawn of uh, – I, I created this website called Salia Life Institute – and um, I then registered it as well as a yoga teacher training school. So I now do trauma-sensitive yoga teacher training. Uh, and then as online, I do wellness consultations. And 
Um, what, another another very important thing is that being a traveler and moving around so much, I've come across a lot of expats who really struggle being expats. You know, there's this, a lot of people think, oh, being a so-called, well, now it's like a digital nomad or have, being a location independent is wonderful. On one hand, yes, it absolutely is wonderful. I've lived like that for 20, more than 20 years. But on the other hand, people don't realize they don't really have the same level of support when they step away from their normal environment. So it's very common for people to really, really struggle with things like culture shock, um, alcohol abuse, substance abuse, relationship troubles, all kinds of things happen when you're not in your normal environment. And um, so it's a, it's a company that provides support online with a number of things. And then the, the, physical, uh, the physical aspect of it is the yoga teacher training or in-person counseling and, and support within Thailand. After I named the company, I then came across a really beautiful story from Sri Lanka that um, it's a love story whereby the, the, the king of Sri Lanka had a son that was, in fact, called Salia. And he fell in love with a commoner and ended up giving up all of his um, royal rights, shall we say, for love. And so I just really loved this when I realized, okay, there's now, you know, two meanings. It's not only connected to the weavers, but it's also connected to a great love story from Sri Lanka. Um, I knew immediately, okay, this is the perfect fit. This is what it's meant to be. And so Salia Life Institute was actually created within about two months of me completing the 21-day retreat. And um, that came from just an absolute clarity of, of, you know, these are all of the things that I've done over the years. And um, there is a need for the services that, that I often provide. And it's time to put it out there. I just I suddenly realized, you know what, um, if you have gifts or if you have skills, you have knowledge and you're not actually doing anything with it, on one hand, it is selfish. And on the other hand, it's just a total, total waste. So I decided to put it out there and see what happens next. And so what happened next is that it's now out there. <laughs> Fantastic. I think that's a really important message, Colleen. If you have gifts, put it out there. And if there's fears or whatever arises in you that is preventing you from doing that, seek help. There's so much help available. Um, you can work with Colleen, for instance, or you can work with a number of people that's so available now, especially with the internet and having uh, Skype available where you can rally support to help you move through whatever is blocking you from bringing your gifts into the world. I'm very passionate about that. Mm, absolutely. And especially for women, you know, I see again and again, I actually, it, it's so amazing how this has happened because even though I have this, you know, the physical place now that I ended up buying, the services that are provided by Cellular Life Institute, even though I don't advertise this in the, on the island that I live on, I just, you know, I, I for some reason I haven't gotten to the point where I can balance um, advertising and promoting the, the physical environment as well as the services that is offered online. The right people are finding their way here. Time and again, I've had people just arrive on the deck, needing some perspective, um, whether it's trauma-related, whether it's addiction-related, whether it's just life perspective-related. And the very services that 
that I offer at the core of what this place actually is, even though there's no signage and there's nothing advertising it, people find their way here. Beautiful. So, yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a lighthouse or like a magnet, mm-hmm. you know, and um, yeah. I just think you have to take the plunge. Once that, once you shift, once there's a clear shift, and I believe we do know this, we know when we're operating from a place of mind or if we're operating from a, from a deeper place of knowing. Mm. Once that shift happens and that knowing is there, you have to take a step forward and it might be scary. It might, you know, be a bumpy ride, but if, if we only have one life, whether we believe in a second life or past lives or whatever, from a practical perspective, if we only have one life, you have to actually take the step and just do it. And whatever happens next, I really feel that there is guidance and I, I, I never, ever believe that I'm alone. Even if I'm, you know, physically by myself, I do believe that we're supported and guided. And, um, yeah, I just, it, once the knowing is there, you can't go wrong. Thank you, Colleen. On that note, I think um, we're going to end. We've um, had a beautiful talk. I'm very, very um, moved by your story and your offering today. And just before we we end our session, our our podcast session, I just want you to mention, um, I see that you're offering something in January 2017. Can you briefly just give the listeners, um, tell the listeners what that is? January 2017 is a 30-day, 200-hour yoga, well, it's a trauma-sensitive yoga teacher training course. And so this is specifically focused, uh, it is yoga, but it's specifically focused at being able to work with the general public who very often have um, trauma-related challenges, shall we say. Whether and again, whether it's um, you know it can be small traumas such as dealing with say divorce or car accident, or it can be large traumas dealing with you know rape or or big things in life. So it's being able to be a yoga teacher who can actually handle working with the general public, and um, yeah, it's a thirty day intensive, and that will be held in Thailand at the retreat center, which is the retreat center is Veranda Pangan. And that's on an island uh, called Kopangan in Thailand. Mm, that sounds beautiful. So, yeah, I'll put the, um, beautiful. I'm going to put the, sh- um, the links to those on the show notes so people can get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about it or signing up or booking in. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Aisha. Thank you, Colleen. It was so, so pleasurable talking to you today. Thank you so much. Much gratitude to you and all the best for Thanks. everything you're offering the world. Thank you so much, and to you too. Thanks for the show, and thank you for what you're putting out. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Colleen Hollett. I really feel like she's my soul sister. There's so many similarities um, as far as you know what she's resonating to and that whole inner journey and that ability to take her clues from nature, find her inner compass, um, spend time alone. Those things are really close.